Very cool. Well, we are going to come around the world. You may be seated, and uh, I won't make you stand for the whole message, which is good. Uh, we're in the series of Around the Table, and um, really it's a series we're looking into relationships. And uh, tonight I want to speak to you about our families, our family relationships, and the importance of those relationships. And, uh, you know, to me, the table is so important to family life, um, and food really does connect us. Sometimes I wish I was born Lebanese, um, but I wasn't, so I'm just some white Australian kid who, you know, Australians, we're kind of just, we don't really have a food, we just steal everyone else's food and make it our own, and uh, so I wish I was Lebanese or Italian or something that actually had a food culture I could celebrate, because I actually love to cook, and uh, I love having people around to feed them, and it's a way of me showing care, because food can communicate it, can't that, can't it? And every Lebanese person said, amen. There is just something about a really, really good Lebanese feast. I used to work with a Lebanese manager, and they would have us around for food. And I was just like, where have you been all my life? Because food does something. It, it, it unites us. It connects us. And, and, you know, the table is such a powerful thing. In fact, food is so great, and the meal is so crucial to connecting us in as a community, that when Jesus wanted to give us a message about how much He loved us, and how important it was that we got on together and connected together and communicated together and we're in community together. He didn't give us another message. He didn't give us another example. What he did is he brought a meal. And so powerful was this to the early church. I mean, you know Jesus is Middle Eastern, don't you? Like, that's amazing. Like, how am I going to share people my life? Oh, I'll, I'll do, get a meal going. Like, that's awesome. But, but that's, that's the power of our God is that, that He can use these things to connect. And, and it's so important that we realize that and recognize that because when we come around to eat, sometimes we can just treat it as another thing. We just go on about our business. My, my daughter has this, um, has this little thing at school. She's just started school and she loves reading. And her, her library uh, teacher lady librarian, there you go, um, she, she has this little poster and it says, um, just read every day that you eat, meaning read every day. But for her, now it's in her head, whenever I eat is the day to read. And I think whenever we eat should be the day to connect. Whenever we, that's the power of a meal is that God has put something so practical and functional in our life to create community. And it worked for the early church. In Acts 2, it says this in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Verse 46, they worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meal with great joy and generosity. All the while, praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And then it says, and they were added, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So, so powerful was this message of the community that it actually became a message to the world that there was something different about this little utopian society that were connecting at a level that was astounding to anyone who saw it. It was filled with such genera generosity, such joy, such peace, such hope that people were coming to that community and being saved. 
That's powerful. You know the gospel is at work when all we have to do is put on dinner and people are getting saved. It's incredible. Now, it sounds a really happy family. It sounds like a family I want to be a part of. And of course, central to that family was this meal. But it's interesting to me that they ate together daily. And I think we can take something from that, that the importance of us recapturing time together as a family, particularly as, as your natural family. I know we've got a lot of young people here, but and you probably don't want to hang out with your family anymore, but can I encourage you to do that? It's important for your parents who have looked after you for so long. Um, but, but it's so important that we do this because for us to recapture that moment where we can get together and connect, and, and that will look different for everyone. Uh, for me, I have three children, uh, three girls, Harlan, Isla, and Aubrey. They're awesome, but they're all under the age of seven, which means the fact that I am still standing at like quarter to six is a miracle because uh, you're just like tired all the time. If you ask a young family how they're going, like parents, how are you doing? Just You don't need to ask that. You can just assume they're tired um, because that is basically life with children. Uh, but, but, you know, like it's incredible that we, our family life and our table life looks very different because my kids eat at like some ridiculous hour, like five o'clock. They're hungry and ready for dinner. I'm still working. So we, we have to recapture those moments in other ways. We have to take the time to capture one another in other ways. Sometimes it is at the table, but sometimes it's after and I've got home and they've eaten, but I'll take the time to read them a book and sit and chat. But what's really important about this is that they took time to get together and actually be undistracted. That we take the time as families to switch off these things and your phones and the TV and really connect because there's power in that. There's power in that. But you know what's interesting? That the quantity of connection is not what makes you healthy as a family. It's the quality of that connection that really brings health. It was not that the church in Acts connected that kept them healthy. It was how they connected. It was the spirit in which they engaged with one another. If there is an issue in your relationship... That issue is coming to dinner. Has anyone had a table disaster as a family where you hear this thing? Like, even, even now, I was reading an article, even like in society, they're getting onto this, that we need to get back to family meals together and really recapture that. But my experience is, if I have an issue with my dad, that issue doesn't stay, it comes to the table. And so it's not just about connecting at a table, it's the way that we actually interact with one another that makes those connections healthy, that actually makes those times when we can get together a time that builds us and connects us rather than disconnects us further. It is how we treat one another that ultimately unites us. So Paul, being the great apostle, he lays down a new way for the early church, of how they were going to treat each other as a family. In Ephesians 5 and 21, it starts. Now, what's really important is Ephesians 5's 1 starts like this. It says, imitate God. Imitate God. It's a powerful, powerful, real quick verse. Imitate God. 
be imitators of God, reflect how God is like. And then he goes through all of these lists of things that will stop you from imitating the love of God and the grace of God. When you're involved in activities and sins that actually disconnect you from God and disconnect you from one another. And then he says this powerful thing where he says, do not be drunk on wine or filled with wine, he says, but rather be filled with the Spirit. So he's setting up the precursor of how we do this community. But he says, be filled with the Spirit. And then this is the ultimate result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. In verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission is the key. It is the guiding principle of any successful relationship. The biggest thing that will kill your connection in relationships, the biggest thing that will destroy the connections in your home life, in your work life, in your church family, the thing that ultimately destroys it is selfishness. As soon as I begin to start living for me, my fathering ability goes out the window. My ability to be a faithful and good husband goes out the window. Because as soon as I start living for me, and taking up my own life, and my own wants, and desires, and needs, and forgetting those of the people around me, we disconnect. We become an isolated little island living for me, myself, and I. Submission is crucial to healthy relationships. Now, he then goes further uh, into what that actually looks like. It begins in 22. He says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. This is powerful. Now, I know there's probably a few wives here and many young people here. But can I tell you the power of our ability to submit to one another? And what Paul is not talking about, ladies and gentlemen, he is not talking about a hierarchy of equality. He is not talking about that. There is this great scripture that says that we are all one in Christ Jesus. In Christ, he got rid of all social equality issues, all racial equality issues, all gender equality issues. He said, we are all one in Jesus. But can I tell you this, what's important though, is that in our current society, that we don't lose the ideals that each gender brings something specific to the table, that all of us love in a different way that is important that we hold to these truths, that we don't just see something like this and go, well, this is just outdated, it's kind of like an old cultural thing. No, there is something powerful about the respect and belief of a wife. Now, first and foremost, the submission to the husband, it says, as to Christ. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus does not wrestle or force submission. He gave his whole life for it. He, He has not forced submission, he's earned it. So ladies, when you're choosing your husband or you're in a relationship, you are called to submit to your husband, but you are not to call to be submitted to someone who has not earned it. Stay clear of anything, young girls particularly, that looks like an abusive relationship, because I have to tell you, you actually mean everything to Jesus. And he wants to uphold you. But once we are in those relationships, once we are in loving relationships, it tells us to respect. And the reason is there is nothing more powerful than the trust of a wife, the belief of a wife. The whole world can be against me at times. Feels like it. They're not really, but I'm a drama queen. And so it's the whole world is against me, but I get home 
and my wife believes in me. There is something that my wife can do to lift my head, and it's simply trusting me, believing in me. And then it says that husbands are to love their wives, as Christ loves the church, sacrificially loving. Men, we are called to lay down our life first. We are called to submit to Christ first, because when I'm submitted to Christ, I don't do dumb things like say those things that I shouldn't have when I'm actually honestly hearing from Christ and the Holy Spirit and willing to lay down and submit my life, I stop doing those things that create tension in our relationship. When when I'm honestly submitted to Christ, we may have an argument and I will walk away and feel the tap of the Holy Spirit to go and apologize. And all I want to say is, but I'm right. And then the Holy Spirit reminds me, you're never right. She's always right. You are wrong for the rest of your life. But that that's the power of it, is because she would do the same. And I get annoyed when she beats me to it. It's like a race now, who's going to say sorry first? And she beats me every now and then, I'm like, damn it, she's so good. She's so much like Jesus. Oh my goodness. It then tells us around children. It says, children, obey your parents, because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Now this is hidden home for some of you. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. Now, for me growing up, that at times was quite literal because my mother was scary. And if I didn't honor my mother, I probably wouldn't have had a long life on the earth. But can I tell you this, that what I have found in life is that the older I get the more I realized I had no idea what I was doing. I always thought I did, until I got to the point where I'm at, and then realized I knew nothing. I got married nearly 14 years ago. I was like a baby, and I thought I knew everything about marriage within the first year. I knew nothing about marriage. And the great thing about your parents, no matter what stage of life we are in, is there is something about the wisdom of God that comes onto people year by year as they journey in Christ, and that wisdom can literally save your life. Can literally. When your parents talk to you about driving safe, not giving in to peer pressure behind the wheel, that can literally save your life. That's the power of honoring and listening and working within that structure of our families. But can I tell you, for us as parents, this is really important, that the only way that happens is if we create an environment in which they will listen to us. Because that's why the very next verse says this, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them, rather bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. The purpose of discipline is to bring them closer to God. The way that God disciplines us is always to bring us closer. It's not because God's fed up with us. And he's like, I'm so sick of you doing this. I just want you to do it my way, so I'm going to discipline you. But can I be honest, that's somehow, that's sometimes how I used to parent at times. When I first had kids, I had no idea what I was doing. Literally, none. They don't give you a rule book on this, by the way. You go to a hospital, you have a baby, and then they go, there you go. And you're like, what the heck am I meant to do now? And so you're working it out with God and you're journeying with God and and every kid is different. And my first child was perfect. So she ruined it for the rest of them because our expectation level was here. 
But I've realized every kid is different. How they learn and interact is different. And sometimes I would try and get my middle daughter to try and just do it like this, because this is what's quiet and calm, and this is what I'm used to. Why aren't you doing it like she does it? You need to stop doing that. And I would get frustrated with her, and it would make it worse. And I was like, man, she's just totally undisciplined. What have we done? She's three, and she's already ruling the house. But no, she was just different. And then God hit my heart. And I realized that I was trying to discipline her so that I could feel like I was in control. But that's not what God wants. I'm meant to bring her closer to God, which means I need to figure out how to work with her. And as soon as I came from that approach, our relationship went to a whole new level. Her behavior changed. As soon as she started to realize that I was listening to her and working with her, and as parents, sometimes we can kind of go in with this one-size-fits-all, and these are the rules, and if you don't fit into it, boom. But that's not how we're meant to work with our kids. We're meant to bring them discipline that comes from the Lord. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit and led by God with each of our kids. There's a power to this. Now, all of this seems very nice, doesn't it? All seems fantastic. And uh, in the ideal setting, it's wonderful. I I think even people that aren't in church would hope for wives that that love and respect their husband, for husbands that love and lay down their life for their wife. They would would hope for kids that are honoring their parents. They would hope for parents to be gracious to their kids. But can I be honest with you, it's difficult sometimes. It seems awesome. I'm like, cool, love it, sign me up. But the reality of it is difficult. It's challenging. How do we do this? How do we love each other, even in church? Again, the guiding principle behind this is submit to one another. Well, sometimes I don't want to. I'm sure you're very nice, but sometimes I just don't want to listen to you. And you probably don't want to listen to me. In fact, probably tonight, some of you are just like, when is he going to stop talking? Because I've got to go home and watch something on TV for the third time in a row. I just want to go home and eat. Because it's hard for us to honor and respect and submit to another consistently. And you know what, I was thinking about this, and I think it's difficult when we're trying to follow a pattern of how to love one another, when often we just resolve to the pattern that was taught to us. And we find the way that we actually interact with one another is just a reflection of how we grew up. It just becomes this pattern. And so what we have now is a set of new values that Paul lays out for us, and they're incredible values. But you know what I found about Christianity? You cannot do Christianity by taking a new set of value and trying to smash it on top of an old mindset. You can't take a new set of values and just hope somehow with you just really wrestling hard, you'll be able to lay that over your old values. Christianity at its core is about core transformation. It's actually about changing and becoming a new creation. It's complete transformation. And that only happens when I daily lay down my life to Jesus Christ, to the sovereign Lord Jesus, and actually get daily filled by the Holy Spirit so that I can see transformation happen in my life. I have to stop at times trying to be a father who is a Christian, meaning being a dad, doing the way things that my dad did it, and by the way, I'm also a Christian, to realizing that I am a Christian. I am someone in Christ who is a father. Because that's a big difference, and it will change the way you live. It is about us coming 
back to that core reality. Because again, as the early church would sit around and create connection, again, it was not the connection that was creating the power. It was what they were connected into. They were deeply connected into Christ. And every time they sat down to eat this meal, it reminded them what Christ had done in them and how they were called to live for each other. Before they would get down and have their normal family interactions, before we go about our lives just interacting with one another how we've always interacted, imagine if we stopped and rather sat down at our family table, we got back to Christ's table and begin to think about what this means. So Jesus is about to go and give his life. He's totally confident that God will resurrect him, that he is the Messiah, the ultimate chosen one, to bring new life to everyone. But he's also anxious because he's a man as well, and he's having to face this idea of going to the cross. And it says that he is gathered with his disciples, and they are sitting around the feast of the Passover. And this is like the upgrade of the feast of the Passover. It held very much the same core values of God had rescued them and saved them, and that they were now part of a communion to live together. But now he totally flips it on his head, because they knew that a lamb had been sacrificed. They knew that God had done something and sacrificed other animals across the way, and and for that reason, death had passed over their tribe, but now he says, he says, I am the sacrifice. And in verse, in, sorry, in Luke 26, 22, sorry, in 19, it says, he took some bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Remember. Remember. Say remember. Remember. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. Remember. Remember. There is something powerful about our memory. And when Jesus talks about remember, he's not like remember as if you would remember someone's phone number. Remember as you would recall something that once happened in your childhood. I don't know if you've ever uh, had an experience like this. I, I grew up in the Sundays, and so I did a lot of sailing. I love sailing. And um, don't hold that against me. And so I love sailing, and, you know, there was a particular sunscreen we would have to use that was really, really high quality and, and kind of high SPF because the Queensland sun is brutal. And, uh, and so we would put this sunscreen on, and it had a particular smell. And you know what? Even to this day, every time I smell that sunscreen, I literally am back sailing. Well, not literally, but I'm not in a boat. But, but in my mind, I'm there. That's the type of memory he's talking about. When you do this, you're literally back at that table. You are there with the disciples, with Christ, connected to this community, with Jesus looking at you individually saying, this is my body broken for you. What a powerful truth for us. And as families, when we take communion, and it's good to do this together as a family, by the way, but even if you're not doing it physically all the time or daily at home, but to actually come back to the core message 
that as a family, we are connected. Before we're connected because you're my son or daughter, or before we're connected because we're brother and sister, before we're connected because we're friends, we're ultimately connected because we are one in Jesus. When we come back to that core, it will change the way we look at each other. It will change the way we interact with each other. It has to change it. Because can I tell you, on autopilot, we're hopeless. Look at this very next bit. It's hilarious. Verse 24, they've just had Jesus, right? He's just like given them this incredible message. And the very next thing, then they began to argue amongst themselves about who would be the greatest amongst them. This is crazy. This is what we do. We come to church, we lift our hands, we feel God, He fills us up. Man, it's good. And we go home and we argue with our parents. We come to church and we get filled up with God and we're so happy and we go home and we argue with our wife. We come to church, we get filled up, we're so excited, we go home and we have a tiff with our friend. It's like, what is wrong with us that this message seems to go surface level but never gets down deep? So God just stops them. He's like, Jesus told them in this world, the kings and the great men of the Lord lord it over the people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you, it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leaders should be like the servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. When we come back to this memory, He reminds us of what He's done for us, but He also reminds us of how He has loved His family and encourages us, exhorts us, commands us to love our family the same. He reminds us we love best when we continually remember that the love given to us can transform the way we love. It can transform the way you love. When we let the Holy Spirit, who is our reminder, He is our friend, our ever-present help in time of need. And He promised, Jesus said, I will send you one and He will remind you of all things. When the Holy Spirit is there consistently and we are open to Him and allowing Him to remind us again and again and again just what Christ has done in our lives until we are utterly transformed again and again and again until we can completely love one another perfectly. And I think it's a journey. And I think you get it right sometimes and you get it wrong sometimes. But the main thing is, are you coming back? to this point, or are we just going to do relationship on autopilot and hope for the best, or are we going to consistently come back and remember what Christ has done in us that utterly transformed our lives so that we can love one another? There's a power in this. What would your family look like if before we pass criticism or judgment on one another, we would stop and remember that God had every right to judge us, but He saw Christ and didn't. What would it be like before you get frustrated with each other, thinking how many times do we have to talk about this? How many times do we have to go through this? We remember that the Father is like a father whose son has gone off 
and hasn't even come close to his expectations, yet he's still waiting there with open arms, ready to forgive. How would we treat one another? If every time we came to have a conversation, when I start to form that arrow in my mouth, about to say it, I stop and I think, all the things that God could accuse me of, but he holds it back because of love. It would change the way our family looks. And can I tell you, how we look is incredibly important. I'm not talking about our physical looks. I'm talking about how we look relationally. It is so important. I'll show you why. And I'll finish with this scripture. Invite the team back up with me. John 13. Jesus sitting down. Again, this is, this is the same time. This is the same scene. He's sitting down with his disciples. He's sharing this last meal. He's just been washing their feet. He's been getting himself and them ready for this moment. And he says this. So now I am giving you a new command. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Get this. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It matters what we look like. It matters. We don't need any more preachers. We don't need another big evangelistic crusade. We don't need another healing meeting in the middle of the city. All those things are amazing. They're great. But could you imagine what it would look like if we just loved each other more? Could you imagine the message of the gospel we would send when people that shouldn't get along utterly are transformed and start to get along? Could you imagine, young person, what it would look like to your unbelieving parents if you just went home and started to listen? Could you imagine the transformation that could take place in a family if all of a sudden husbands let go of their pride and began to forgive? Could you imagine what it would be like if we could connect as a church family and instead of when we get frustrated and upset, we leave, we stay? because we forgive each other. Imagine the message we would send to the world. Do you know that whenever this happens, Jesus said that I am coming and my kingdom is now. That means that there, there is something that, that is meant to happen in this place. It is not the kingdom of God, but it is a signpost to the kingdom of God. There, there is something that happens here when we do this, when we get this right and we connect and interact with each other, where literally heaven and earth meet. It's so powerful and strange and weird that there is this love community that is all about one another and submitting to each other and giving over to each other, that that is the place where heaven and earth meet. And that says to the world, there is something unique about this community. There is something different about this community. Who wants to be a part of that community? Who wants to be a part of a community that brings a message of hope and change to this world? Well, it begins when we remember. Real simple. What he did for me, so what I should do for you. He has given me everything. He gave me life that I may let go of my life and give it over to each other. That is how we are going to change the world. That's how your family is going to transform. That's how your relationships are going to change. That's how everything will work out. When we can live submitted to Christ, submitted to one another, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing it not in our own strength, but empowered by the Spirit who transforms us in all things. I am the least likely candidate to be a good husband or father. 
If I was to look back on my own history and where my life was headed, I absolutely would not recommend anyone of my 18-year-old self to be dating anyone. <laughs> my own mother tried to set my wife, she kind of, she came to my um, my mother-in-law and said, look, I'm not so sure my son's a good option right now. That's how messed up my life was. But God has utterly transformed me utterly blown me away he has transformed me and it didn't happen overnight it wasn't like wow i'm the perfect candidate all of a sudden he transformed me and as i submit my life he transformed me as i take back my life i pick it up and go i'm an idiot again and then i let go of my life and he transforms me and that is the pattern so let me tell you right now you may be feeling like this is totally not you but it can be can be You might feel like you are one of the hardest persons to get along with. You feel like relationships come and go all the time. You're always frustrated. You're never satisfied because you seem to have something in you that is repelling the people around you. I'm telling you, God can change you. But it starts with us surrendering our lives to Him.